Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and we have our panel members today, Mick Wells and Steve Wilson. And we are basically just keeping the microphones going, the microphones on, because we started last time what I thought was a very fascinating topic. I hope our listeners thought it was as fascinating as I thought it was um, discussing it about dreams. And Steve has been leading our discussion, and uh, I'm just looking forward to continuing the discussion right now. So, Steve, why don't you just go ahead and take it away? Okay, so last time we were talking about where our dreams come from. We said, well, biblically, our dreams, one, can come from God. There's many passages in the Bible where God sent someone a dream. They can come from just kind of the things we've been thinking about that day or maybe the stresses we've been feeling, and it's our, our mind's way of processing those things. Um, but we also talked about, you know, a lot of dreams, if they're not sent from God, a lot of dreams are ultimately meaningless. That's what we heard from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to talk a couple more sources of dreams or possible sources of dreams. But as we were discussing, one of the ways God speaks to us is through dreams. But there's also a very similar way that God speaks to us, and that's in visions. So I wonder, can we kind of talk about what's the difference between a dream and a vision? Well, I believe that uh, one of the things that we had discussed uh, in between our two episodes here was the biggest difference is a vision happens when you're awake and a dream, at least as far as what we're talking about, happens when we're asleep. Mm -hmm. But is there really any difference besides that? In the sense that um, God can use either one to communicate a message to someone, there would be little significance in terms of a difference but i boil it down to whether you're um, unconscious or conscious okay so i'm thinking of the similarities i'm thinking these two things are very close Mm -hmm. one you're sleeping one you're awake but in both uh, if you're talking about a vision or a dream you have a visual aspect to it you're seeing something um, and there's auditory so you're, it's almost you know, as if you are there in the scene or watching the scene play out is the way it, it seems like in the Bible. So both of those things, uh, whether you're dreaming or awake, God's kind of doing the same thing in both scenarios. And so that kind of got me to thinking, well, you know, to God, it doesn't matter if we're sleeping or awake. He can communicate uh, the same way in both instances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that we, uh, though, stress that not every dream, not every vision that we have is from God. But we're talking specifically here, I believe what you're saying, Steve, is that when God chooses to communicate with us through these methods, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter if we're asleep or awake. But that doesn't mean that every dream or every vision we have necessarily is from God. You know, right. one thing I was thinking of is uh, in our previous program we were talking about uh, dreams dissipating 
uh, very quickly as a rule. But if, if a vision is in the conscious state, I remember what largely what we said and talked about in our last program. I don't lose that because in my conscious experience, I remember what was done, what was said. Now I'm losing my memory as I age, but uh, nonetheless, there's a, there's a different storage capacity to use a, temp or a computer term uh, where dreams are kind of like a, a temporary storage. Our, what we do in our conscious state is more recallable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why mm -hmm. witnesses take the stand in a court of law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So I want to move on and uh, talk about just a little bit more about dreaming and our experiences. Uh, have either one of you ever had a lucid dream? A lucid dream being you're dreaming and you know you're dreaming and the dream continues. So in other words, you can kind of take control of the dream because you know you're dreaming and now you can do whatever you want. You can direct it. I don't know that I've ever been able to direct it, and I haven't had those, quote, lucid dreams, although I've had very vivid dreams, as I described last time. The lucid dreams where I realize I am now dreaming, um, yes, I have had some, but I don't know that I've had them to the point where I can say, okay, now I am going to direct what direction it goes, yeah. but it's like I will realize I am dreaming this. This is not, um, this is not really happening. I have never had any sense while dreaming that I was that I had any control of the dream or even that recognizes as a dream it's always seemed very real which is mm -hmm. impacts me greatly when I wake up and I immediately have to remind myself uh, that was just a dream but as far as uh, falling asleep and dreaming for me it's just like sitting in a movie theater and watching something happen although I may have a speaking role in the dream or hear people who speak and so forth, it's all very passive and uh, very, it's a spectator sport. I have never had a feeling that I knew I was dreaming or that I could control it. Yeah, so I've heard about people who have lucid dreams, and, and I want to say it's like 10% of the population have these on a regular basis. And, you know, I've always been jealous of those people because they'll say, okay, I'm dreaming, cool, Let's fly. And they'll be able to fly in their dreams, you know. So I've never had it, but I've always been jealous of people who have. Mm -hmm. What about uh, recurring dreams? You guys have recurring dreams that are, that are themes that come back to you over and over again? Themes, yes. Um, when I was younger, especially, I'm talking about like my childhood, maybe up into my teen years, I would, I would have these dreams that I was walking, and it, the, the, the dreams varied widely, but all of a sudden, you know, I'd be somewhere, and all of a sudden, the ground would open up in front of me, and then I'd turn, and the ground would open up in front of me, and it was like I was standing there, and I couldn't go anywhere. That was one theme I had. And then more um, lately, when I'm saying lately, I don't think I've had this dream for a number of months now, but oftentimes in my dreams, I find myself being frustrated in trying to attain something or trying to do something that I know I'm supposed to be doing or I'm supposed to be going somewhere and things just keep getting in the way and keeping me from getting to where I need to be going or doing what I need to be doing. Those are themes 
um, but they take place in various settings in my dreams. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had, um, as I mentioned in the previous program, recurring dreams are one of the keys to me being able to recall. If you have them over and over again, you tend to remember the nature of them. Mm one of them was probably from watching too many Godzilla movies when I was a kid. Sounds I'm, interesting. I'm in the middle of a city, and I see this giant fire-breathing monster going between the buildings and things. And nice. I, I just write that off as, you know, something strange. But one recurring dream that I've had probably seven to ten times, it's always the same. I'm back in my junior college experience I'm in the complex. I recognize where the offices are, where the rec center is, and et cetera. And I suddenly realize it's the end of the grading period. I have forgotten to take, I have forgotten to attend the classes, to do the homework, and I am facing a surefire flunking episode, and I'm frantically trying to get into a locker that I don't remember the combination to just to retrieve a book. Mm. Now there's probably some psychologists, psychoanalysts probably have a field day with that, but it is a recurring dream that I have. And it's happened many, many times. And somebody would probably say that's your subconscious telling you you're crazy. (laughs) But, uh, that is an example of recurring dream. So mine's similar in that, uh, so I'm always in a place where I've been asked to preach or I'm supposed to be in a play and I'm supposed to go out on stage or onto the platform. And it's like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) I have not prepared. I didn't even know I was doing this today. So it's, I think for me, um, maybe, I don't know if I was to, if I were to analyze it, I would say, well, it's a fear of not being prepared. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting, too, though, because all of the things that I have said that Mick said and what you said, Steve, um, have this negative connotation. I want to bring one recurring theme that's actually somewhat positive. Okay. Because, well, you remember when we were at the same church together, mm-hmm. the, the attendance there was always really, really large, right? I'm right. joking. Yeah, I right. mean, we'd sometimes have 25 people, 30 on a good day. Right. Um, I have had maybe a recurring dream, if you want to call it that. We have, we have been in that setting. Or whatever, you know, it's in a church, I walk in, and all of a sudden I'm expecting, you know, to see the regular 25, 30 people, and the place is full. And I'm supposed to start preaching. Kind of like what you said about preaching, I didn't realize I was going to preach, but praise the Lord, I'm able to come up with a message right then and there, and it's like I'm proclaiming the Word of God, and I feel so good about that. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's a there's a good recurring theme, so I just want to make sure that, that we understand that not every recurring theme in our dreams has to be bad. Right. And so another positive one, I haven't had this, but my wife will often talk about uh, her recurring dream is she's kind of at a buffet and she can eat, you know, as much as she wants. Uh, so she has the food dream. She also has negative ones, but that's a, a positive one that she often yeah. has. So let's continue kind of talking about the sources of our dreams. And one we want to talk about is... Isaiah chapter 29, verse 8. Pete, would you like to read that? Sure. As when a hungry person dreams of eating, but awakens hungry still, as when a thirsty person dreams of drinking, but awakens faint and thirsty still. Okay, so the context of this verse is uh, 
God is telling Israel, an army is going to come attack you, but they're not going to be successful. They're going to be hungry, but I'm going to leave them. Uh, they're going to come, they're going to want to eat, but I'm going to leave them hungry. They're going to come thinking they're coming for a feast, you know, to take over your country, but I'm not going to let them. But what this verse tells us is, again, one of those reasons why we dream. So what would you pick out of this verse of, of being a cause of dreams? It's probably uh, based upon something that we're uh, longing for. And if I guess you could um, <clears throat> substitute the desires of the heart for the references to eating and drinking here. It sounds like dreams could be somehow prompted by things that we want to see take place in our lives or want to happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It could also be, I mean, right along those lines, I mean, we have been blessed. All of us in this room have been blessed. We have never truly been hungry to the point where we are starving. We have never truly been thirsty to the point where we are almost dying for water. So along the lines of what you just said, Mick, I believe that that you know, a person who is truly, truly hungry can dream of eating. A person who is truly, truly thirsty can dream of drinking. And right now, we do need to take our quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with our second half of today's program. And we are back with Reconciling Grace, talking about dreams, and Steve has been leading the discussion. So, Steve, where do we go from here? So, we're just talking about Isaiah chapter 29, verse 8, where uh, through God's words, um, Isaiah is telling us that sometimes a dream comes from our desires. If a man's hungry, he might dream of food. If a man's thirsty, he might dream of something to drink. Now, my question is, well, what if I have a desire that could be impure? So what if I'm dreaming and I have a sexual dream? What if I'm dreaming and I have, uh, in the course of my dream, I commit an act of violence or I engage in gluttony or whatever it might be, if I have a desire and I dream about that, uh, how does God handle that? How do I handle that as a Christian when I wake up and I remember that dream? Another side question as, you, as you're pondering that is, we've talked about, well, God can give us dreams. Does Satan and the demons also play a role in our dreams? Can they influence uh, what we dream about at night? What do you guys think? I think that... Um in terms of sources of dreams, that is a third source. Uh, not to give Satan any more power than what he has, but he seems, he and his minions seem to know what we're thinking and they leverage that to uh, their own purposes and their own uh, cause. Um, I think we need to recognize these things in the conscious state. So if I wake up after having had what I would consider a sinful dream, and I recognize it as such, I would have to, to, I would be led as a Christian to go to God and say, Lord, whatever is causing this, whether it's some desire I'm harboring that I need to 
to deal with before you and request uh, that you create in me a clean heart and a clean mind. Um, I think that's, that's appropriate. But um, I think we have to deal with it in the conscious, in the conscious state and recognize, you know, see if there be any, what was it, wicked way in me as the scripture talks about, because if there's something there that's prompting my mind or giving the enemy a foothold to have me dwell in my subconscious and act out something that I would never do as a Christian in my conscious state, then I need to present it to God and, and ask for help. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that the way that I view these kinds of things is through what I call the functional trichotomy of the human being. Did you patent that? No, I learned that in Bible college oh, along okay. with a lot of other 50-cent words. <laughs> and um, the functional trichotomy is this, is that human beings are made up, in essence, of the, the body, the spirit, and the mind. Um, the body is basically, and again, this is very simplistic. I'm not saying there aren't... There aren't um, different ways of looking at it, but the body is basically um, me and what I want and my selfish nature and everything else. And it's about living for, you know, what it wants. It wants food. It wants clothing. It wants, you know, shelter. It wants all these things. The Holy Spirit, though, can live within my spirit. I have a spirit. We all have a spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come in and make that spirit cleansed from sin. At the same time, the mind is the battleground. Now, what affects one affects the other. If I am very cold and very hungry and I'm starving to death, um, even though I'm a spirit-filled Christian, I might end up stealing food. I hope that never happens. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But if my spirit is sanctified, if the Holy Spirit truly has full control of my spirit, it's going to affect the way that I think. It's going to affect the way that I act. But that doesn't mean that my mind is ever perfect. It means that my mind is still a battleground, but the more that I keep looking inward towards trying to let the Holy Spirit have more and more control of me, then the more it's going to affect my mind and my body. But even so, we live in a world that is infected and affected by sin, and these things will still play out in our minds even if we don't want them to. Mm -hmm. So... I'm reminded of, again, this uh, passage in Leviticus in uh, Isaiah where the man's hungry, very natural, and so he dreams of food. He's thirsty, very natural need. He dreams of something to drink. Uh, we all have other natural biological needs and wants, and so we're not consciously thinking of those things, and yet our body kind of brings them to our attention. Sometimes when we're awake, sometimes when we're asleep. And so we're going to talk about, you know, how our thoughts do matter, but Pete, like you were saying, like Mick, you were saying, uh, sometimes these things, they come unbidden to us. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's Satan, maybe it's just our body making a suggestion to us, um, and then our minds, you know, take those things and run with them. Mm -hmm. So, so let's, 
I want to make sure that we take a balanced view. Yes, God cares about what we think about. But at the same time, uh, when we're sleeping, we don't have full control over what we're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So so let's just remember that. Um, Someone could read Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. I believe these are the words of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it says... For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Okay, so we're talking about sinful dreams at this point. And I guess the qu- my question would be, if we were perfect, or one day when we are perfected and we're in heaven or we're on the new earth or, or whatever... Uh, do you think we'll still have those kind of dreams? No, not in... Will we have those stray thoughts that we wake up from and say, uh, you know, that that wasn't right what I just dreamed? No, because we won't have the battleground. You know, I, I heard an evangelist talk about this um, a long time ago. This just now came to me. Um, he was talking about what does it mean to commit adultery in the mind? Um, Jesus kind of talked about this here, about the evil thoughts, adultery mm-hmm. being one of them. Mm-hmm. And he said, just because a stray random thought comes into your mind doesn't mean that you have committed the sin of adultery in your mind. He says, what I believe, and this is what the evangelist said, what he believes, he says, what I believe adultery in the mind is, would be that if you can imagine yourself in that situation with that other person and decide that if that opportunity presents itself, you will follow through, then you have committed adultery of the mind. But mm. just having a random thought, because let's face it, you know, as, as, as males, we're all males, um, we're all married, there was probably some physical attraction that we had to our, our wives-to-be, and, you know, that's part of what attracts men to women. And mm-hmm. so there is that aspect of us that it's not all about adultery, but adultery has to do more with the heart attitude, I think. If I recall uh, correctly, somebody asked Billy Graham the same kind of question along these lines years ago, and his response was, okay, guys, it's okay to admire the ladies. The question is, would you or would you not follow up on your admiration. Now, I'm not sure what he means by admire. You know, that's mm-hmm. a first cousin of lust, I, I suppose, under certain circumstances. But it, it's certainly something we need to be sensitive about. What does God think? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the context of dreams, again, so those sinful dreams that we have, whether they're sexual or otherwise, um, in a perfect world, in a non-sinful world, uh, when we are perfected, we won't have those thoughts. That's how I see it, yeah. I agree. Okay. Okay. So let me go down to Leviticus chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. And, uh, and we're going to kind of unpack this passage a little bit. It says, If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priest a guilt offering, a ram from the flock, and without defect, and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, 
and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. They have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. So this isn't talking specifically about dreams. This isn't talking specifically about your subconscious mind. This is talking about if you do something wrong and you didn't know it, or it was an accident, you didn't mean to do it, the fact is you still did do it. And so you have to make that right with God. Uh, can we or should we apply this same reasoning to dreams? In other words, God, I didn't mean to think that, but I did. Do I have to deal with it uh, in the same way that a person would have to deal with it according to this Leviticus passage? I think implicit in this is the understanding that at some point, that which was committed unintentional, unintentionally, the awareness of its sinful nature has to come to the person's uh, conscious state, if you will. Mm -hmm. There is a realization implicit in this, because it's hard to feel bad. I know that's a layman's way of saying it. It's hard to feel bad about something you didn't deliberately do. But there comes a point in time when you realize, oh, wow, I respond to the Holy Spirit. I'm convicted that I did something that I shouldn't have done. I wasn't aware of it, or it wasn't intentional at the time. But I certainly recognize now that it was sinful. There comes the point where we're responding to the Spirit and saying, Lord God, I look back, and I, I didn't mean to do that at the time. And given the same circumstances, I may do it again someday. However, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't recognize it as wrong. But in response to your conviction, I do recognize that what I did was wrong. And, and I repent. I confess that sin and trust that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive me. Okay. I think of it in a different light. Um, I think what you said is great, Mick. Um, but when I was reading this, the thought that came to me was all these judge shows that I like to watch on TV, like the People's Court or Judge Judy, um, they will oftentimes say, we know you didn't mean to do whatever it was, but your actions caused these people to have such and such of a loss. Mm -hmm. And you are responsible for that person's loss because of your actions, even though you didn't mean to have that happen. Um, I think intent goes a long way here because it's the same way as a child um, should not be punished for accidentally knocking over a glass of milk as they should be in the same way if they are told, do not go over there, and they look at you defiantly and walk right over there. There's two different uh, things involved, and we can be that way towards God sometimes. And I think the dreams are oftentimes just beyond our control. Mm -hmm. So... On the one hand, we've got these, these sinful dreams that we have are not ideal. They're not God's will for us. At the same time, well, we can't control them, and so we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it. Uh, we shouldn't feel guilty about it. So the question remains then, okay, what can we do about it? And to kind of wrap up our discussion on dreams, I want to read from Romans Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, near's the key, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I think, and I think you guys would agree with me, the key to dealing with these dreams, if we have sinful dreams, is to continue to allow God to transform us, to change the way that we think, and hopefully those sinful dreams will come less and less. I think that's a great way to end things, Steve. We are out of time. Thank you for joining us for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace.